started to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and set it out on the lake, and the people gathered along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teachings said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering his seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where the soil was shallow. It sprang up quickly uh, because it had no root. There, I'm already off. I'm trying to quote from memory here, man. Let's, let's keep going, though. Other, well, the sun came up and scorched, uh, and scorched the plant, and they withered. Um, man, see, memorization is not easy. That was your challenge last Sunday. Does anybody remember the challenge? Mark 4, 1 through 20. I worked on Mark 4, 1 through 9 this week, and apparently that's as far as I got when you have to quote it in front of a crowd. Uh, but my wife can vouch for me. I quoted the first nine verses last night. So we're going through the Gospel of Mark, and we're challenging you along the way. And our challenge for starting last Sunday and all the way until October 28th is Scripture memorization, and we've challenged you to memorize Mark 4, 1 through 20. And the reason that we challenge you to do this is because we normally read chapters, we read through the Bible, and all that's important, but this is about slowing down and really memorizing and meditating on God's Word. And I promise you, I've spent 30 minutes to an hour almost every night this week, and I'm still stumbling through it, but it's been a great exercise and challenge for me. Uh, And God's Word is really starting to speak to me in in different ways, ways that it wouldn't have had I not taken on this challenge. So let me say two words about this. First of all, it's a challenge. So it's not meant to be easy. It's not something that you already do and then you just get points for it. This is about challenging you to grow in spiritual formation. Because I've heard from many people this week, hey, scripture memorization is not my thing. This is not something that collectively everyone is really excited about. But remember, that's why we call it a challenge. And when it comes to memory... A lot of people have said, I'm, I'm not great at memorizing scripture, but think about the things that we do memorize. We memorize songs. How many of you can hear a song on the radio that maybe you haven't heard in five years and you can still sing right alongside it? Anybody can do that? You know, we memorize songs because we internalize these lyrics. Um, I memorized our home phone number growing up. This is before cell phones, and I didn't carry around a tab with me, so... Uh, I had to memorize our home phone, 903-454-0410. You could try to call it, but it was disconnected like 10 years ago. But I'm always going to remember it, not because I memorized it in one night, but I internalized it. So memorizing scripture is about internalizing it, taking it from the head to the heart. So uh, as we've gone in our staff meetings and talked about some of these challenges, you know, Cade challenged the youth group with memorizing Mark 4, 1 through 20, and they did it as a team effort. So our scripture reading this morning, I invite you to follow along, and we're going to listen to the youth group as they quote Mark 4, 1 through 20.
We're starting over. All right. Thank you to the youth group for doing that. So there's an example of what it, yeah, give them a hand. There's an example of what it sounds like when you memorize scripture. The challenge is to do it on your own, though, so we'll see how that goes. Let's jump into Mark chapter 4 and uh, teach through this right now. There's this large crowd that's gathered, so large. You know, Jesus gets in this boat, and he has a floating pulpit there in verse 1, and he's teaching many things by parables. So one of his favorite teaching devices is the parable. Jesus did not invent parables. This is how rabbis would teach. A parable is this Greek word that's borrowed from the Hebrew word mashal, which means riddle, or a short story, or a word picture. It's a way, a teaching device that you tell a story, give a word picture, whatever it may be, and you have clues of what it means, but you don't straight up Tell the crowd or those listening exactly what it means. And this is how Jesus is teaching. He's going around teaching in parables. And in the Gospel of Mark, this is the first long speech. As you look at the other Gospels, take Matthew for an example. If you have red letters in your Bible, you know, the red letters represent when Jesus is talking. There's five major teaching blocks in the Gospel of Matthew. Starting with the Sermon on the Mount, which covers three chapters. Luke And his gospel has several lengthy teaching sections, several long red-letter sections. John has a ton of dialogue, but Mark is about action. The gospel of Mark, the first gospel written, a lot of stories. So when we knew we wanted to do a scripture memorization challenge, we just started with a chapter that had the most consecutive red letters in it. So we landed on Mark chapter 4, his longest speech. And he's teaching this crowd about a farmer sowing seeds, and then four soils. So there's those on the path to which the birds come and snatch it up, those on the rocky places that the soil is shallow, and so uh, it springs up quickly, but it doesn't last. The sun causes it to wither. There's the soil on the thorns that grow up but are choked by the thorns, and they don't bear grain. But then there's the good soil that came up and grew and produced a crop, and it multiplies 30, 60, even 100 times. So these are the four soils, and then as he ends the parable in verse 9, he just says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. 
So right there in those first nine verses, when he starts in verse 3, he says, listen. And then he says the parable. He teaches the parable. He starts by saying, listen. And I don't think when he says, listen, I don't think he's saying, pay attention now. Y'all quiet down. You know, he's not doing the welcome at a 9 a.m. church service in East Texas. He's teaching a crowd of people that are come to hear him. But he's saying, listen, as in, can you comprehend what I'm trying to teach you? Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. It's about listening with our hearts. Uh, This scripture memorization challenge isn't as much about memory as it is having ears to hear what Jesus is really teaching. How often do we, when we're having conversations, maybe with your spouse or a friend or a co-worker, how often have you said to someone, are you really listening to me? You can talk to someone, and they give you the head nods, and they give you the signals like they're listening, but there's a point where you can tell, okay, they're not really with me here. Or maybe your spouse says it to you. For all preachers, pretty much every Sunday morning, you can stand up here and span over the crowd, make some eye contact, and there's always certain people that I'm like, yes, they are with me. They have their Bibles open. They have come hungry this morning, and the lessons are designed to take you through the Scripture. There are some people, when you look at them, and especially if maybe they talk to you after the sermon, you're like, that went in one ear and out the other. And then there's some people who, within five minutes, are already getting a good nap in, and I'm thinking, okay, they didn't come with ears to hear today. Which I know afterwards, somebody's going to come say it's the medicine or whatever it may be. Just <laughs> don't take it as a personal insult, all right? I, you can just tell, okay, there's certain people who come with ears to hear. We train ourselves to hear. We train ourselves to hear. I've been in rooms full of young families with little kids, and usually the little kids may be in another room, and you can't see them. And all of a sudden, a kid starts to cry, and almost every time, one of the parents will say, that's my kid. Can't see him. All you can hear is a child crying, and anyone else, it just sounds like a child crying, but they know that's my child because they've conditioned their ears to hear and to know and to recognize that child belongs to me because we train ourselves to hear. And Jesus says, listen, tells the parable, and he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. A guy right there on the right in the red jacket is a guy named Eric Weinheimer. I, I first heard of this story when I was in a, in a high school one day, and I saw his poster. Maybe you've seen his inspirational posters around. Uh, Eric, when he was 13 years old, had a degenerative eye disease, and he lost his sight at the age of 13, but he didn't let that stop him. And in May of 2001, he summited Mount Everest, which is an incredible task. A lot of people have died trying that, and most people who try to summit Mount Everest never even make it to the top. But he made it to the very top without his vision, without his sight. So how did he do that? He listened well. The climber that was in front of him had a bell on his backpack, and he would listen to that bell and follow the sound up the mountain. He would listen to his teammates who would tell him, death ball, two feet to the right, and he knew his life was in the hands of whatever they were telling him, so he listened well. He listened to his ice pick as he would climb up the mountain, and he would hear the sounds of what was going on behind the ice, whether it was hollow or not, and whether it was a safe place to walk or to travel. So he listens so well that he made his way up to one of the tallest mountains in the world. 
And that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples at this point in Mark. He's training them to listen well. And for us as disciples of Jesus, he's doing the same for us. He's training us to listen well as we memorize Scripture and slow down on it for a little bit. We're learning to have ears to actually hear what the Spirit is still communicating to us. In Mark 4, verse 10 through 12, one of the more confusing parts in Mark chapter 4, let me read it, starting in verse 10, when he was alone, those who were around him, along with the twelve, asked him about the parables. So there's the twelve, and there's also other people. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look, but not perceive, they may de- indeed listen, but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. So there he paraphrases from Isaiah. So what does this mean exactly? We have these disciples and the twelve, and they're asking Jesus about this parable. What does it mean? Why is he teaching in parables? And then he tells them, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been revealed to you. So let's start with the disciples. They've received these secrets, whatever the secret or the mystery is. But as you read through Mark, there is nobody more confused than the disciples. If anybody doesn't get what he's saying and has to be corrected and he has to go back over something, he has to challenge them, it's the disciples. And yet they're the ones that are given the secrets to the kingdom of God. What about us? We're given this insider's look at what Jesus is teaching as readers. We're not sitting by the shore on the water's edge listening to him teach from a boat. We're getting to read it. We're getting the inside scoop of what these parables actually mean. But then he uses this insider-outsider language for those outside. It's almost like it sounds like they're being prevented, like God has hardened their heart from being able to understand. But yet, when you look at insider-outsider language in Mark, most of the people who would normally be outsiders, like those with skin diseases, lepers, um, tax collectors, ex-demoniacs, Gentiles, the outsiders are becoming insiders. And those who are insiders are those the ones standing on the outside not understanding. And then what about the political powers? What about Herod and other Roman authorities who would have no doubt sent spies when there's large crowds and this teacher that's growing in popularity, they had spies in the crowd that were listening. So when Jesus is teaching in parables like this, the parable of the soils, They have nothing to go back and report because they don't understand what he's actually teaching. They don't have ears to hear. But they're in private asking Jesus about this parable, so he explains it to them. In verse 13, he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you you understand all the parables? So it's like this is an important parable. If you can't understand this, how are you going to understand the other parables? Verse 14, The sower sows the word. Now as we study through the explanation of the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, however you want to title that, I think there's two main lens for which we can view this parable. And the first lens is that of evangelism. This word evangelism, we sometimes nowadays use words like outreach or mission or 
Disciple-making is a term that I like to use, but evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelion, which I've already mentioned a few times in different sermons. It means good news or gospel. So the sower here is sowing the word. That's the seed that he's scattering everywhere is the word. So there's a hint of evangelism. You remember back in February and early March, if you were with us then, We gave you one big church-wide challenge, and it was really a question. Who's your one? And most of you wrote a name on a card, and you committed to forming an intentional relationship with somebody that, after prayerfully considering who that would be that God has placed in your life, to begin a discipling relationship with. And it's been many months since then, and I hope that you're continuing that relationship, leading someone closer and closer towards Christ. And if you've forgotten about that, here's your reminder. Who's your one? And that Sunday, where we put the cards in the bucket, we had Dr. Jared Looney come with us. He was one of my old teachers. He's a church planner, disciple maker, the world's crossroads with international students and millennials and big major cities. And he compared evangelism to this parable, scattering seeds, sowing seeds. And one of the things that he said about this farmer was the farmer sows the seed indiscriminately. He's sowing quality seed wherever he goes. The rocky places, the path, the thorns, and the good soil all get the same quality seed. They get the same quality word. And he gave us a picture of evangelism looking like that. When we reach out, we're sowing seeds. And our responsibility is to sow quality seeds. Right, And we can't control how people respond to it. It's kind of like what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gives the growth? It's God who gives the growth. God gives the increase. So as you read this parable, there's kind of a hint, there's a lens of evangelism looking like that. Sowing quality seeds. And we'll look at that again right at the very end. But there's also the second lens to view this parable, which is introspection. Or as Alan talked about in his communion thoughts, this is self-examination. A classic question to ask yourself when looking at this parable, especially the explanation that Jesus gives is, well, which, which soil am I? Instead of looking at everybody else and other people that you know or your family, which soil are you? What, what am I? So look at his explanation in verse 15, these are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So we see in Mark that Satan not only possesses human beings, but he also has the ability to to snatch the word away. So those were the seeds on the path. In verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root and endure only for a while. Then, when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away or they immediately stumble. So, the rocky places are like those who spring up quickly. But then when life hits, trouble or persecution comes, they stumble, they fall away. And if you've been around for a while, you could probably say, yeah, I've known plenty of people like that. Receive it with joy, they seem excited, and then slowly we never see them again. Well, that's not really us up to us to become the judge on that. And if we're being honest, some of us may be that type of soil from time to time in our life. 
But the type of soil that I think most of us could identify with is the thorns. In verse 18. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word and yields nothing. I think that there's been many places in my life where I can identify with that. It's almost like we get this picture of somebody that responds to the word and actually grows a little bit, but never produces fruit because it's being choked by the thorns. And what Jesus says that is, is wealth, uh, the things of this world, the cares for this world, and the desire for other things. Well, that would probably describe a lot of us, right? I mean, think about life, like trying to keep kids alive and also try to be a good parent and take care of my marriage and keep a job and make a living and pay bills. And there's so many things that we have to take care of. And sometimes that can become overwhelming to the point where that's all you focus on and you become unfruitful for the kingdom of God. And I would imagine that most of us probably fall in this category. It made me think of this old baseball player named Curtis Pride. In 1993 season, he was a rookie. He played for the Montreal Expos. And towards the end of the season, the Expos were in second place. The Phillies were in first place, and they were playing each other one night. Very important game. Towards the end of the game, the Expos were down a couple runs, and they put in Curtis Pride, this rookie, to pinch hit. He goes up to the plate, swings at the first pitch, cranks a double, gets two RBIs, and there's over 45,000 people in the stands cheering his name. It took him a minute, but eventually he took his helmet off and, and nodded to the crowd, you know, acknowledging that they were cheering for him. Well, after the game was over, they were interviewing him, and one of the reporters knew something about him. He knew that Curtis Pride was 95% deaf. So he asked him, did you hear the crowd cheering for you? And you could tell the reason it took him so long to nod to the crowd is because he actually couldn't hear them. But what he said to the reporter is something that I'll never forget. He pointed to his heart and he said, I heard him right here. I didn't hear him with my ears, but I heard him right here. As we study through this parable, I, th I think of that because I think what Jesus means by whoever has ears to hear is not just hearing it with our ears, but internalizing it into our hearts. And when it's internalized within us, like it becomes a part of who we are, then the cares of this world, the wealth that's so enticing, the desire for other things, they won't be so important because the word is internalized in who we are. So our goal is to become, like verse 20, the good soil. Those are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word, accept it, and they bear fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. And that's where we want to be, like that's the goal. We want to be good soil. We want to not only be responsive to the gospel and to Jesus, but we want to multiply. You know, that's a part of our mission here at Pine Tree is to make, mature, and multiply faithful followers of Jesus. Like that's the goal. That's good soil where you not only, not only take it for yourself, but you're producing and bearing grain. Like that's where we want to be. That's the good soil. 
He goes on in chapter 4 and teaches other parables and talks about a lamp and how eventually that lamp is going to be put on a stand. So this message that's taught in secret will be taught to everyone. And then again in Mark chapter 4, verse 23, he says, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And he keeps teaching about the kingdom of God, but he keeps teaching in parables. And in verse 25, he says, For those who have, more will be given. And for those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. That's always been a confusing passage. I think the best way to explain verse 25 is to ask the question, who are those who have? For those who have, in context of what he's teaching, those who have the word, those who have ears to hear, will be given more. If you come hungry... If you come with ears to hear, if you come ready to hear from the Lord, you have that desire, you have ears to hear, and you will be given even more. There's a young lady named Eileen, a young mom, 31 years old. Her daughter started school, and her daughter came home and was talking about church and the Bible because her teachers and other students had been talking about it. But Eileen was not a Christian, never been to church, never read a Bible on her own, and it really bothered her that they were talking about religion at school. So she put her kids to bed that night, and she was so bothered by it, she wanted to maybe read the Bible a little bit. So she went up in the attic, she dusted off an old Bible, an old family Bible, and she went downstairs, and she wanted to know what all the hype was about. She opened it up, never read a Bible before, she saw that there's an Old and a New Testament, so she thought, I'll start with the New Testament. And just start reading a little bit. That was about 8.30 p.m. And she was still up at 3 a.m. reading. She had made it about halfway through John. And, and she wasn't speed reading. She was slowly soaking in this story. And she said she closed the Bible at that point. And she said the first prayer she's ever said in her life. And she said, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to pray. But I know you are who I want. Just through, not through anybody teaching her. Not through showing up time after time, just through reading the Word and soaking in, taking a long, slow look at Jesus. She said she had fallen in love with the life and the teachings of Jesus. That's the Word. That's what we're sowing. We're sowing quality seed. For 30 years of her life, she seemed like she was the seed on the path. Right? The bird just comes and snatches it away. But all of a sudden, at year 31, she's good soil. And not only is she responsive, but her life would never be the same after that because she made a decision to follow Jesus. So what type of soil are you? Do you have ears to hear? And what kind of seed are you sowing for the kingdom of God? This morning, we're going to offer a chance for you to respond if you need prayers or if you want to be baptized into Christ, you can come up front. And as we normally say, there are shepherds around this building. You don't have to come up front. You can find a shepherd and speak with them privately. We encourage you to take advantage of this, and we invite you to stand. You're us, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this 
This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture, a burst 